Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, November the 13th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio, our political editor, Pat Leahy. A little bit later, we'll be joined also by our deputy political editor, Fia Kelly. We'll be discussing the upcoming four by-elections and some of the troubles which are besetting Senator Lorraine Clifford Lee, and also some statements in the Dáil yesterday about Nigerian remittances. Um, But first, before we begin, uh, I wanted to mention again the fact that we are having a live podcast as part of the Dublin podcast. Festival. It's taking place in the Workman's Club in Dublin on the 22nd of November, which is Friday week. And you'll be there, Pat. I certainly will, Hugh. You're looking forward to it? Immensely. You're going to buy me a drink? Surely the audience will buy us drinks. Yes, actually, that's what we're hoping for. So please do come along for that. But now, just to say, we're joined on the line by Freya McClements, our Northern correspondent. Freya McClements, we have come now just about to the end of the first week of this rather long general election campaign in the UK and also obviously in Northern Ireland. How is the campaign going so far or is it going at all in the Northern Ireland constituencies? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been really interesting. I mean, I think the last week's been more about who wasn't running than, than who was um, because obviously we've had all these pacts, although of course they're not referred to as pacts. We've, we've had all, all these um, different candidates, um, Sinn Féin, the SDLP, the Greens, um, and the, the Ulster Unionist Party DUP everybody in fact apart from the Alliance who've said very very firmly they don't do pacts we've had candidates from all these parties stepping aside in, in various constituencies um, in, in favour of, of other candidates so actually for, for reporters like us it's been sometimes it's been a case of trying to get our head round exactly who, who's stepping back from, from where rather than who's standing where and I mean we've also had, had controversy I mean there was the controversy around um, the North Belfast constituency there was the threats made um, to the Ulster Unionist Party Party there uh, because they had said initially that they would not um, step back to allow a free run for the unionist candidate, the DUP candidate there, and, and there, there, there was a feeling that there was a feeling among unionism that this would effectively gift the seat then to the Sinn Féin candidate John Finucane. Um So yeah, plenty of controversy, which is is to, to be expected, I think, in election campaigns. And when you say pacts, it reminds me of what Nigel Farage said the other day when he had a kind of a, a unilateral pact. He didn't have an agreement with the Conservative. Party, but he decided not to stand against them. Is there something similar going on, say, for example, in the decision of Sinn Féin not to stand in a number of constituencies, or in particular the SDLP's decision not to stand in North Belfast? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the parties are very clear. The, these are not pacts. You know, the, the, these are simply that they have to stand. They have decided not to stand in certain constituencies, and, and they have taken the steps of suggesting um, to, to their voters that, that perhaps they might like to vote for a different candidate um, in the Sinn Féin STLP Green um, scenario. Um, th- this this is 
to pave the way for the for Remain candidates um, in, in in theory to take the seat um, in in terms of the the Ulster Unionists the DUP's um, decision to stand aside or not to run a candidate it's it, it's it's to give the, the Unionist candidate the best case of, of winning the seat we're, we're starting to see things certainly breaking down along Remain Leave lines now that's not in every can in every constituency I mean for example in Foyle there's going to be a huge battle between um, Sinn Féin and and the, the SDLP um, for for that seat it was very 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 close the last time so the kind of language that you're seeing around North Belfast and South Belfast where the SDLP has to decide in North Belfast Sinn Féin and South Belfast and they're they're advocating uh, that their voters vote for the, the Remain candidate Just wondering Freya how is that being seen say that the, the North Belfast South Belfast uh, pact or non-pact whatever you want to call it between Sinn Féin and the SDLP how is that being interpreted on the ground is it actually being seen as a Remain leave strategy or, or, or is it a green orange strategy, which is, I suppose, more what it looks like from afar. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's it's a mixture of all those things. So I think it's it, it's it's definitely about remain versus leave. But the reality is in the north that remain versus leave often, not always, but it 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 can feed into that green orange dichotomy. I mean, obviously, we've got the Ulster Unionist Party, um, the exception to that, saying saying very clearly, um, you know, that they are remain unionists. Lady Sylvia Herman, obviously, also, you know, a very very vocal pro remain unionist. Um, but I mean, in, in Inevitably, in, in the North Belfast and the South Belfast argument, that, that this is where it also breaks down. But it's also a question of pragmatism, really. I mean, the SDLP could never win the seat in North Belfast. Sinn Féin were never going to win the seat in South Belfast. So in a sense, it's it's also about just making a pragmatic de- de- decision and saying, let's bring back whether it's bring back a Remain candidate or bring back a national a nationalist candidate who is also you know not the DUP candidate, not the Leave candidate, um, so there, there there are lots of dynamics coming into force. You know there, there, we we have seen a change in those at- attitudes, and I think it's it, it's very easy sometimes to to write politics in the North here off as just orange or green. I think it's become a lot more complex th- than that, and Brexit obviously you know that great destabilizing factor that, that that that's contributed to this change. So accepting all that, the reality does remain that North Belfast is probably the most polarized constituency in Northern Ireland and has been for a very long time, very closely contested between the the two traditions. There is there any reason to believe that the very slight edge which which, which unionism has maintained in that constituency over the years m- might change this time. Is there any sign of, for example, demographic changes there? Um, I, I think that's part of it. Um, so, so pre- previously, North Belfast would have been a very strongly unionist seat. We saw two years ago. We saw John Finucane, You know, he hugely increased the Sinn Féin vote in the area. But we we we, we saw him. We saw him come to within two two thousand votes, or just around about two thousand votes of, of of Nigel Dodds. And in part, yeah, that is due to due to demographic change in in in, in that in that area. Um, in terms also of, of unionism, I mean, again, you know, there, there would have been a time where I think unionism would have felt it unthinkable that they were under such threat in somewhere like North Belfast. And it's going to be a very, very interesting battle because, as I said, there, there's, there, there were roughly 2,000 votes in it between John Finucane and Nigel Dodds the last time. John Finucane now obviously is Lord Mayor of Belfast, very, very high profile. But we also have the SDLP standing aside. Now they, they received roughly around about 2,000 votes um, the last time. And I, I've, I've, I've added up, if, if you put 
the Sinn Féin and the SDLP vote from the last time together, um, they come in 23 votes short of Nigel Dodds. Obviously, there's now there's no UUP candidate standing. They didn't have one the last time, but it's been very, very high profile in terms of the fact they're not standing this time. And you can argue that, that unionism in that area has become more energised and, and certainly it's become more polarised. The, 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 the debate now, it's about the DUP candidate or or Sinn Féin. It's about it's about one 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 or the other. How big a, a shock, uh, Freya, would that be to not just to the DUP but to the whole unionist psyche if Nigel Dodds was taken out by John Finucane? I mean, it's it's it's, it's huge. It's huge. It, it would be absolutely huge. And I think if that happens, it's going to be really interesting to see what's happening elsewhere in, in, in Northern Ireland as well because I think it's it's very likely, I think, that the DUP are going to lose South Belfast as well to Clare Hanna. Um, so you could have, have the scenario whereby three of the four Belfast constituencies are, 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 are Sinn Féin. And when, when you look at some of some of the language around, around this, I mean, even the, the statement from Steve Aiken, the new UUP leader, um, and he 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 talked about you know the the, the choices between you know essentially having a candidate who supports the union even though we don't agree with them on, on Brexit but it's about a candidate who supports the union you know vis a vis a Sinn Féin abstentionist who won't who won't take their seat who won't condemn he says you know acts of IRA violence you know there, there's a real sense of the extent to which that this is 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 almost a microcosm of some of the arguments that are going on within Northern Ireland as a whole and it's it's it, it's about it's about where Northern Ireland goes in the future. It's about what that representation is in the future. Uh, it's going to be absolutely fascinating, I think, to see. OK, and just one other constituency, because there was only one Remain Northern Ireland MP sitting in the in Westminster for the last session, and that was Sylvia Herman. She's not running in North Down. Uh, the DUP almost took the seat off at the last time. Who's favourite to win there? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I can't see it going anywhere else other than to the DUP. I mean, and again, you know, to me, you know, you take it back to the numbers. I mean, as you say, she narrowly won the last time, um, beat the DUP candidate there by about a a thousand votes. But if you look, if if you look at the gap, um, there was more than 10,000 votes between the DUP candidate who came second and then the next place candidate who 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 was Alliance, you know, I mean, you would expect the Alliance vote to go up certainly, um, but there's a huge amount of ground there to make up. I I, I think I think it's going to be difficult. So my my bet I think there is that 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 is a gain for the DUP. So Sinn Fein have had a, a number of bad elections in the south now, uh, Freya. Uh, they performed rather better in the north, but they are an all Ireland party. So presumably one of the things they'd be looking to do is get the train back on the rails with a good performance in these elections. Absolutely, and, and I think I think cer- certainly in the north, you know, they they, they feel they feel confident. Um, I think that they they feel they've got a very good chance. I mean, I, I I do think there there are potential. There's potential certainly for them um to to pick up. Uh, there's potential certainly for them to pick up um North Belfast. Be interesting to see what happens in in Foyle. Um, but I think cer- certainly, I mean, the the local elections, for example, uh, locally in Foyle, the the dairy constituency, obviously. Where the um the the Ardash is is being held, you know they 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 hadn't performed as well in the local elections um as they might have hoped. Um, I know questions were asked after that, but cer- certainly, um, I mean, um, pri- privately and publicly, you know, the, the party is confident. They're looking to put put their best foot forward in, into these elections. They're looking to do well in these elections, and obviously that that that's also you know p- part of the dynamic, part of the visuals, part of the message that they'll be looking to send out from this this Ardesh is. Is that it's it's a strong party, it's a united party, it's a party that that's moving forward, and, and what will be interesting to see how it how it um, develops is obviously um, the, the the post of deputy leader um, mm-hmm. Michelle O'Neill 
it is facing, um, in theory, a, a leadership challenge um, there or a challenge to the deputy leadership uh, from Don o John O'Dowd. I mean, it's it's been almost, you know, the contest that hasn't been a contest because there, there, there's been no campaigning, there's been no no hustings. I mean, it appears even just looking at the um, the the agenda for for the Ardesh, um, you know, there appears no opportunity, for example, for for John O'Dowd to speak. Um, so one would imagine that that um, when that vote is held, that it isn't really much of a contest. And I want to bring Pat in on that because, Pat, you're going to be in Derry, which of course is in the Foyle constituency. Perhaps no coincidence that the Ardesh is taking place there um, this weekend. I think a lot of people were intrigued by this uh, challenge to Michelle O'Neill by John O'Dowd. It's not normally the kind of way that Sinn Féin does its business. No. I mean, Mary Lou Macdonald was unopposed for the leadership. Uh, Michelle O'Neill was unopposed for the deputy leadership. Jerry Adams was leader for whatever it was, 120 years. He was unopposed every one of those years. So, as you're right, that's not the way Sinn Féin does his business. So there was eyebrows raised, I think, when John O'Dowd announced during the summer that he would challenge Michelle O'Neill for the deputy leadership of the forthcoming uh, Ordesh. And my view at the time, unlike other parties, Sinn Féin is very difficult to see into. I suppose there's that kind of the remnants of the culture of, of discipline there, which is is part of their history. They're very difficult to see inside to, to gauge their inner workings of it. And my view at the time was that, you know, this could have been, the challenge by John O'Dowd could be a, a, a device contrived by the leadership to demonstrate that the party is becoming more normalised, that it would have, ha- have internal contests like very, that. Very cynical view. Not cynical in the slightest, but sceptical, I think. But, um... Uh, or, or it could be a genuine challenge. Now, it looks to me that it is a genuine challenge, just a very weak and ineptly run one and unwelcome from the point of view of the leadership. Because if this was a contrived device to send a signal to the outside world then you've got to assume that it would have been contrived a bit it, more effectively than this. It would have been, so it, it would would have been, been staged in the way yeah, that, the yeah, way so that so used to happen hostings, with, with communist parties in Eastern, Eastern Europe uh, in the 1970s. Uh, exactly. That doesn't appear to have happened. So it may simply be a marker put down uh, for the future. It may simply be that, you know, John O'Dowd thought better of it, that he was leaned upon. I don't know. But it, it, it does tell us something, I think, about the state of the party just maybe we'll take a little bit of time and talking to people up in Derry to figure out exactly what it is uh, that it that it that it does tell us um Freya's right of course that that Sinn Féin uh, has had better elections in the north than it has in the south it's had three bad elections on the trot in uh, in the south it's had the presidential election last year the local elections and the european elections earlier this year so these elections and Sinn Féin as an organisation because it gets so much practice at it is good at fighting elections and fighting elections brings the party together it gives the activists something to do and the party of course is, has a very strong activist base so I think the party will welcome these elections I, I think this is an opportunity above all for Mary Lou Macdonald as you say to try and get the train back on the tracks a bit and elections are for Sinn Féin the perfect 
vehicle for that. And what's your read on that, Fred? Do you think Sinn Féin are, are well geared at this point, despite you know, some of the problems that they've they've faced in the South, to sort of to to get back on track? Or does the O'Dowd challenge and do, does it perhaps indicate you know a bit of, if not discontent, a bit of concern about the direction under what is still, by Sinn Féin standards, a relatively new leadership? Yeah, no, I, I I'm inclined to agree with Pat on on the the O'Dowd challenge, and I think he's absolutely right as well in in terms of of um, Sinn Féin election. Sinn Féin are always up up for elections, and Sinn Féin certainly in the north and they're not the only party that have been doing this but they, they were prefer- preparing for this election long before this w- election was called I mean in, in a sense they're always on election footing um, and a, a story just from, from a, a few years back which I think illustrates just that level of preparedness and, and, and organisation I, I got home one night to find that Sinn Féin had called canvassing during an election and I, I wasn't in. They, they'd left an election leaflet actually sitting in a flower pot at, at, at the front door and about a month or so later I happened to, to run into somebody who I sort of knew knew vaguely was a, was a party worker who was able to to give me my, my address off the top of, of their head and I said, you you live at such and such and I said I said yes and they said we, we called to canvass on such and such a date um, and there was nobody in and we, we left the election literature in the flower pot and I remember thinking that's that's amazing because that person would have had no 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 expectation of of running into me yet off the top of their head they could pull this out exactly you know where they'd canvassed and, and who 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 had been in and who hadn't and where where they left uh, election literature so you know you, you've you've got that I mean I mean Sinn Fein particularly in the north they do elections really really well they, they they've got that degree they've got that degree of organisation they don't always get it right but when 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 they do um they 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 do it well although we know where you live is not always a well, being a welcome well, statement in the past well, in, in Northern Ireland. It, 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 it was it was our, not it was not it was not phrased in that way. I, I will I will stress it was not phrased in that way. <laughs> I'm but sure in, it indeed, did. Indeed. Sure it didn't. Listen, Fred. Indeed. We shall we shall leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be returning to the election in the north in in coming weeks. Uh, but we'll be turning to the south after this. You know, consulting firms are like onions, layer after layer after layer after layer. You just don't get the answer or the person you need. You just get irritation. Ugh. Ready for an approach with less bureaucracy? Welcome to Grant Thornton Audit Tax and Advisory. It's not status quo, it's status go. And you're very welcome back. Pat is still here with us, I'm joined by our Deputy Political Editor, Fia Kelly. Fia, uh, before you came in, we were talking with Freya McClements about Sinn Féin's prospects in Northern Ireland. What are its prospects in the upcoming four by-elections? Previously, only a few, a year or two ago, one would have said that a situation like this, frustration with the government, by-elections, uh, an opportunity to kick the government, Sinn Féin should be in prime position. Not so much this time. No, I think to win a by-election, you you need to have a very strong first preference vote, really strong first preference vote in constituencies you are competing in or else be transfer friendly to make up for that and go up the line as the, the count goes on. Sinn Féin, I don't think, are in a position to pull off either of those feats that they are looking very well in the polls. So you'd imagine that the first preference vote won't be that high. They have no standout candidates. When I mean standout, you know, people have been working at it for a long, long time, yeah, identifiable. Yeah, three of the four yes. Yeah. Uh, and then you would question now, they were never transfer-friendly. Are they transfer-friendly now in a post-austerity era where the Greens are now the, I suppose, political fashion of the day? It's hard to see Sinn Féin winning any of those, really. Pat, what do you think? Well, I, I think I think if you look at the, 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 the four constituencies, three of them have already 
got Sinn Féin sitting TDs in North Central, in Midwest and in Dublin North, uh, or in, in uh, Dublin Fingal. All of them actually strong uh, Sinn Féin TDs, which would be expect uh, all of whom would be expected to retain their seats in the next general election. If you look at Wexford, though, it's kind of tells you the tale of Sinn Féin's problems um, since the last election. So Johnny Mythen, who was the Sinn Féin candidate down there the last time, missed out. He was the sixth candidate in a five-seater, just missed out on uh, on getting a seat there. But he lost his seat on the local authority in the local elections last May. Now, he's the, uh, he's the candidate for... Uh, for the by-election, but isn't really figuring now. I haven't been down there yet. Fiek hasn't been down there at the very start of this campaign. So it'll be interesting to see how things are playing out on the ground down there. But certainly any dispatches that uh, from people that I've spoken to have been down there, he's not really expected to to feature. And, in, in, you know, it's the sort of place where if Sinn Féin, I say after the last election, was certainly counting on, look, that's a seat that we should win in the next general election. That's the next phase of our growth, a five-seater urban area, strong local base. But all that has sort of fallen away. And that, in, in microcosm, I suppose, is you know the problems that Sinn Féin are having at the moment and why it will be seeking to use, not just the Ordesh and Derry this weekend, but these campaigns to reassert itself. But it faces, at least in Wexford, an uphill battle. Yeah, Wexford seems to be a, a head-to-head between the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael candidates. Malcolm Byrne, strong performance in the European elections. Rona Murphy, high-profile figure from the Irish Road Haulage Association. That seems to be a straight shootout between those two. Iron- uh, ironically, Fingal is probably the one that has the most diffuse field that, you know, an opportunity for people to break through. But again, it's difficult to see Sinn Féin doing it there. And then looking at the other parties, I mean, who's in pole position in your view in the other constituencies, Cork North Central, Dublin Midwest? Is it too early to say really at the it's moment? It's too early to say, but if you go oh, by like, you know, the, you know, like what is anything at this stage of the game? You know, you, I'm speaking to like, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael TDs and Sinn Féin TDs, they're all out canvassing every night when they're up in Dublin for a sitting week, which is this week. So in the car park in Leinster House last night around half four or five, you could see them all getting into the cars, driving out to Dublin constituencies to canvass. Um, they're, they're saying that like people still really aren't aware there's a by-election on. So a lot of the canvas they're doing now is like explaining to them there's a by-election on. And they also say that people go, oh yeah, but there's an election coming in three or four months' time anyway. So what's the point? Are they really important? So, you know, the, the fact that ter- turnout is going to be probably pretty poor, that they're mm-hmm. trying to convince people to, to go out and vote to motivate those who may be inclined to support them to vote. But the perceived wisdom up until this week was that perhaps Fianna Fáil would be in pole position in Fingal, that may have changed with the uh, controversy surrounding Lorraine Clifford Lee. Yeah, let me ask you about that. How serious is that? Um, Just for listeners who might not be aware, she a has number of Twitter r- posts from her from seven, seven or eight years ago became public, which didn't show her in a very good light. Yeah, she made derogatory comments about members of the travelling community using words like knacker, poiki. Um, also, you know, I think references to uh, black Brazilian dwarfs on buses, um, that type of thing. Um, I think it is damaging. I think it's damaging for what she said in the first instance, but secondly, it's damaging for the judgment she showed in committing such comments to social media. Um, You know, again, I was speaking to people involved in Fianna Fáil uh, last night and they said it would change the dynamic of the campaign for them, where before they felt that they were 
I suppose the front runner, they would have, you know, big public events, maybe, you know, public ish events for something of this size. Now that's changed because you you'd be inviting protests on, you'd be inviting people to come and disrupt what you're doing. Is she still definitely the candidate, do you think? Yes. Um I think they've invested too much in her over a period of three or four years for, for that to, to change. Um I think if for her to win, she would have needed, as I said, a high first preference vote to get her well ahead of the field to kind of counteract, you know, say a green candidate who may come up, you know, who get transfers to Fine Gael and Labour, etc. I think this may have damaged that. Um, you know, if you go back to the 1998 by-election in Fingal, someone sent me a figure today, which is when Ray Burke had to resign from the Dáil over, you know, well-documented troubles. And the Fianna Fáil on that election, when they won a general election the year before, got 31% of the first preference vote, but didn't win the seat, which went to Labour's Sean Ryan. So it just shows the magnitude of what you have to do if you're mm, kind of transfer, not transfer unfriendly, but you're not a magnet for transfers like, say, the Greens would be. So I think it, the job is a lot more difficult for her now than it was five days ago. I'm serious. Yeah, I'm serious. She's in a bit of trouble at the moment. But it's important to remember that the elections are all about, you know, the arithmetic. And the arithmetic of a by-election works completely differently to the arithmetic of a general election. So in in Fingal, it's a four-seater, uh, it's a five-seater. So to win a seat in a general election, you need, what, 17% of uh, vote. You need to get to 17% of the vote by, uh, by whatever count you're going to be elected on. To win in this, uh, to win in a by-election, you need to get to 50% plus one uh, of uh, of the vote. So the mathematics of transfers, the importance of transfers work in completely different ways. And it's often, you know, it's often a mistake to interpret by-elections as a harbinger of what will happen in general elections. Having said that, because there tends to be such focus on them, and that would be quadrupled now because there's four of them happening on the same day, they do attain a political, a sort of kinetic political importance, I think, in terms of how the parties are uh, faring, how they're progressing, how the ground, uh, you know, the, how the ground will be laid for early next I mean, year. So to that extent, a, they are They can be a kind of a dress rehearsal, can't they? Because, I mean, you were interviewing uh, Michal <coughs> Martin last week, Fiat, there were some of the key things that came out of that was the concentration on really good work on the ground and constituency work, strong candidates, you know, uh, and all those kind of things, presumably to some extent, even taking on board what Pat's saying, can be tested. In yeah, you can test what you, like you can, as you said, you can send your TDs out to canvas in areas they may not be aware of to get a feel for the national issues, for what issues may come up in a general election campaign. You can test at organisations in various areas of the country. You can test messaging in the middle of an election debate. So you could see that yesterday um, with all this, um, you know, obviously by-elections don't really impinge on what happens at the Dáil Chamber, but you could see the, the, the messaging that Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin and everybody else went for, which was the cost of rent. We have now a uniform position of most opposition parties that they're in favour of a rent freeze. So you can see that they're testing out these type of ideas to see if they work and if they gain traction, they may end up in a manifesto. Yeah, so it does offer a bit of a testing round. I, I think maybe we just didn't take the previous point perhaps as seriously as we should. I mean, there's a lot of talk these days about how people's social media records come back to haunt them in the modern world in a way that never happened to previous generations and uh, and that we need to take that on board in terms of being flexible in terms of understanding that people had previous lives and they did things they may regret when they're younger. But these are pretty outrageous 
um, statements of prejudice, or at least those that language is associated with deep prejudice and racism. Can the second biggest party in the country stand over putting forward a candidate who was saying things like that in the public forum? I think much of that depends on how Lorraine Clifford Lee deals with this uh, over the coming days. Seems to me there's a drip drip, probably a not an accidental drip drip of tweets being uh, being leaked out uh, from her past activity on the medium. Um, she has said that she's going to meet with representatives of the traveller community. She would presumably apologise to them. I think a lot will depend on how that goes, how it's received, how she is received by the representatives of the traveller community. But I think, you know, if this had been one or two tweets or a batch of tweets that arrived at one particular time or on one day, then that would have been one thing. But it is a more serious problem than that for her. They appear to be appearing regularly. There may well be, for all I know, more to come. And I think that will that that creates a significant political problem for her. So I thought, you know, at the beginning of this week, that this would be a one-day wonder, and she would move on. And I don't think that's the case now. And the other thing, Fiak, is that this doesn't happen in a vacuum. This happens in a context where I know when I was away a couple of weeks ago, uh, you did a podcast which was about rise in anti-immigrant sentiment and the way that racist opinions on, on online especially are becoming perhaps perhaps more vocal. And then yesterday we had this incident around uh, Noel Grealish TD's statement in the Dáil about uh, remittances by uh, Nigerian people who live here. Yeah, and you can see, you can see from how it can all roll into the one. So, you know, Noel Grealish's comments yesterday for Finnegan Ministers on the radio this morning saying it's been an unedifying week in the round, um, that it's not being isolated on its own. It's being dragged into this wider debate as you spoke about with, you know, kind of inflamed language online and not just online. Now, Noel Grealish's comments yesterday were very much, um, you know, uh, that he was bringing it into the mainstream, into the, into the floor of the House. So um, it's the wider the issue. Don't know ex- what, what exactly did he say? He asked the Taoiseach about remittances being sent back from people who are not Irish but work and live in Ireland and he went through a list of countries. Over the past eight years alone, over 10 billion euro has left this country by way of personal transfers. And the top three countries, 1.54 billion to Poland, 2.7 billion to the United Kingdom and 3.54 billion was sent to Nigeria. Taoiseach, these At which the end of the list was Nigeria, which had the largest amounts of remittances, and then also distinguished between EU and non-EU, and distinguished between people who are in the UK. So it was clearly, it was blatantly dog whistle politics. I, 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 it struck me as less of a dog whistle than as a, 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 fog like a foghorn. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think the, the, the shock of it was that what he said in Uttarard a couple of months ago at that meeting about the proposed direct provision centre, about, you know, spongers coming here, differentiating between economic migrants from African and ordinary decent Christian Syrians, I think was the phrase he used, coming, seeking asylum. And then he went silent for a couple of months, said nothing, did nothing, didn't appear anywhere. And then he stands up in the chamber yesterday and says this, and we spoke about this in the podcast before, about that this feeling is out there um, that, you know, people you speak to from mainstream parties acknowledge it. They said it was a strain of it in the beef protests, that it's becoming a wider issue and that nobody, people believed six months ago, was willing to tap into it for political gain. 
that clearly has changed now that Noel Grealish has decided that I'm saying this he was perhaps encouraged by what he said in Luke Derard that there's a section of the population 25-30% of my constituency who support me and will vote for me and then not only him but you had Matty McGrath on the 6 o'clock news defending him you had Michael Collins nodding alongside him in the chamber yesterday and you had the Healy Rays supporting him both in the chamber and on broadcast medium this morning so this group of rural independents seems to have decided that they are going to make an issue of this and we said, spoke with this in the podcast before it's going to be an issue in the campaign so, it's been clear so now. 12 months it's only 12 months since we were in here discussing how Peter Casey could get nearly quarter of the vote Indeed. in the presidential election on the back, not entirely on the back of uh, comments about uh, travellers, but that he used the traveller issue to get ahead of the other candidates. So Miriam Lord has a very cutting parliamentary sketch in, in today's Irish Times about Noel Grealish. And I think the conclusion she draws is she, she, he won't go down in history as one of Ireland's great parliamentarians in terms of the contributions he's made to the Dáil over the years, which have tended to be very locally focused. If he's made any contribution at all, that's been pretty minimal. So if a politician of that sort makes a decision following the incident in Nuke Gerard, um that this is in their interest, because presumably that's what all politicians do. They figure out what's in their interest and their incentives, that there's an incentive to make a statement of this sort. Does that mean that that's a political reaction at the elected official level to uh, to sentiment they're picking up on the ground? Yeah, I think it probably is. I think that this, as Fiac has identified, this sentiment is out there, how widespread it is, uh, how widespread it is, how much it is shared by people. I think maybe it'd be interesting to look at the results of the by-elections in that uh, in that regard. There will be candidates running in the by-elections. And, and you know, this is this is one of the effects, I think, going back to, to Peter Casey that we identified last year is that it will give license to politicians who will see that there is... Uh, electoral or political profit to be made from addressing this particular strain in public opinion and they will they will go for it and I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays in the by-elections how the media deal with it and the public reaction to it in terms of votes in the ballot box we will leave it at that for today. Thanks to Pat and to Fiak and to Freya for joining us earlier. Thanks also to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. And remember that you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. Until the next time, thanks for listening. 